0: Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley. I'm the founder and CEO of CollabTalk. You're listening to the CollabTalk podcast. This episode was recorded in May 2019 and is a discussion with John Mancini, president of Content Results, LLC, and former president and chief evangelist of AIM International, or AIM.org. The video is also available on the CollabTalk page on YouTube. Well, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're located. I'm here with uh, John Mancini. We're talking about knowledge and information management. John, good day to you, sir. Hey, Christian.
1: How are you? It's nice to get connected again. Yeah,
0: no, it's, it's been great.
1: I know it's been a, a few years
0: since participating. Uh, you know, you stepped down from as the chairman of, of AIM. You're still very much involved in that community. But what's the latest? What are, what are you up to? For those that don't know about uh, John Mancini, what do you think is that, that backgrounder?
1: and you beg the question that people would wanna know as well. So uh, um, about two, two and a half years ago, I I stepped down from the operational side of AIM and handed that off to Peggy Winton, who's done a great job uh, running the organization. And I shifted gears to more externally facing things, first as an employee, and in the last uh, four, five, six months as a contractor. So I'm no longer, for the first time in 20 plus years, an employee of AIM. I run a little small uh, boutique firm called ContentResults.net and uh, help people um, optimize their content marketing strategies. So I do all of the industry research for AIM uh, under contract, and I love doing it. It's a, it's a lot of fun and um, a lot of really interesting um, um, projects on the horizon, and then I anticipate continuing to do that. So... Uh, that's about it, you know. Uh, got two grandkids now, and uh, when I started AIM, I had a 11-year-old. So, <laughs> wow, yeah, that, that it's been been a while. I'm I'm uh,
0: I've got my first grandchild coming in August. Wow, so, congratulations! Uh, thank you very much. Very excited about that. Well, it's you know, I, I mean, the, in the years that you were in, uh, you know, AIM, and it's certainly now, and we were talking just before we hit record here about how some of the cycles is actually speeding up. So the the, the rate of innovation. Uh, that we see, certainly around the technology, but I I would also argue that I think people's understanding of the link between their technology, their process, and their people is improving as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's improving, although, you know, I just did a survey on the digital workplace, and uh, one of the things that I do in these surveys is I Um, Take a look. I ask people to categorize their organizational performance in one part of the survey so that they can classify themselves as either About above average average or below average and then I usually use those breakouts to look at how they view technology differently and um, Probably not surprising is that organizations that consider themselves leading organizations when you think about that that people and um, and tools and culture kind of continuum um, put a much heavier emphasis on people in culture and getting that right, and the guys that are kind of laggard organizations still are tool shops you know and they and they're they're deploying technology and expecting it to do magic things
0: you know I, I did uh, a couple of keynotes at events uh, I was down in so it was Copenhagen earlier this year and I just got back earlier this month from uh, New Zealand and I talk a lot same same idea there that they about digital transformation how much uh, uh, more emphasis we need to put on uh, the people, and then the process second, and technology last. And I use the example is that I I can think uh, you know, like uh, personal examples of where we had uh, uh, old technology, um, certainly outdated technology, but we had strong culture, people that understood their roles, their responsibilities, got along, knew how to communicate with each other. So great culture. And they also that the next step of that had then strong process. They knew the handoffs between organizations, and they may do and did very well with that old technology. But the opposite is not true. You can have the latest, greatest, fantastic, beautiful, perfectly architected solution, and if the you don't have the cultural aspects right, the roles and responsibilities, and the process side of it in in place, it will fail.
1: Yeah, every time. Funny. It was funny. I remember when. Uh... Uh, in the very early stages when people were first talking about social and community technologies in order to kind of knit together an organization in a way that, you know, a little different than just email. And um, so everybody was running out and buying um, social software and community software and so on and so on. And every once in a while, I'd be talking to an organization and they'd say, "Ah, you know, it's just you know, we rolled out all this like fabulous stuff and it's just not working. And and usually my first question, which is um, the one you just said, is I would ask him about the culture of the organization because, you know, in most instances you'd wind up with an answer like, you know, well, the CEO doesn't really think that this is a good idea and he tends to hop on people's ideas if they're wrong. And, you know, and then he's very dictatorial or she's very dictatorial and how they view um, change and innovation, and I, and I'm and I was like, well, you expected some technology tool to fix that. Um, uh, good luck with that. That's a tough project. Well, I think you know, and this is
0: a you, you see. On And this has been, you know, my entire career, every time you see an ebook, a presentation, someone talking about a technical, a technical deployment and the best practices for moving something forward, the top of the list, one or two is always like executive buy-in, executive support and that side of it. I think it's really kind of a gloss over of the complexity of the cultural aspects and the importance of that the culture to you know, ongoing success. Of that underlying technology, and to that point, it, it's uh, you need to have the executives on board. Um, you need to have then the mid-level people, whether individual contributor, just senior uh, individual contributors, or managers, to understand, you know, what is trying to you know, what you're trying to accomplish, what the technology does to uh, to move forward, and the gaps that are there, which, which kind of leads me that my. My articles, that my writing, my experience into governance discussions, and mm-hmm. you know, to help kind of manage the gaps there. Um, but yeah, it is of you know critical importance to the the ongoing success of knowledge and information management. As yeah, I
1: mean, that you know, you're you're so on target there because you know when you think about the connection between information and process and people and work, um, that intersection is a is a very specific and often um, either departmental or personal relationship, you know, how how that thing, how that um, continuum is defined. And so often people, you know, don't really understand those nuances. Um, And, you know, somebody, you know, just think about collaboration and, and how many different ways there are to collaborate with people. And some are just, you know, are just sort of a synchronous, you know, uh, chat back and forth others are you know much more complex that surround documents others are integrated into process discussions those are all really different kinds of conversations and that's just collaboration and so right. you know, and you kind of think about that in an organization at any scale and there's a lot of there's a lot of different flavors that exist that are very very hard to standardize from a top down one size fits all perspective
0: well that's and that's why if i mean if you have principle based IT principle based management, it's irrelevant that the technology is changing every 18 months to 24 months. You know that look I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do from a, you know, a, a, you know cost is in spending an operational expense perspective to switch out your technology. Every time something new comes out, that's not the point. But if you don't have those, that basis, the cultural basis, the, the, the man, that management, uh, uh, know uh, you know understanding i, I used to d- describe it there's a good friend of mine paul Colmsey, if you know paul that's down out of perth australia and always talks about that having that shared understanding you have to have that shared understanding and if it's if you don't have a shared understanding in in the organization and it starts at the top yep you know, yeah when about... of the ceo of the leadership
1: yeah, well, you have it. You have it spot on when you when you talk about principle-based IT and principle-based technology strategies. That's really the only way you can you can do this in an era of rapidly changing technology and uh, without you know getting hopelessly tied in knots. And it kind of reminds me a bit. We were talking before we got on the record that in my early days I worked on the the lobbying side for the American Electronics Association, and I remember one of the most frustrating conversations we used to have with legislators. Was that they were and gosh, we have this in Technicolor now um, where um, was was that we were always they were always trying to legislate technology, and we would say we say, no, 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 the way that you have to write legislation is in terms of principles in terms of capabilities, but don 't try to legislate the technology because by the time you complete the legislation. Somebody will have kind of like you know gone all the way around that. And you'll be back to ground zero all over again and be counterproductive in the process. So um, yeah, principle based is really important. I think. Well, you know, I, it's something too that uh, with the with the changes in technology, and that's
0: why. Look, I, I as a my my bias is definitely on the Microsoft ecosystem. I'm a you know Microsoft MVP and regional director, and so very involved within that ecosystem. Although you know. Uh, more than half of my experience, I was on the IBM side of the house and, you know, in past life. So, uh, and, and uh, it's funny, I commented on an article uh, or that was being written about the, uh, the IPO of Slack. And, uh, and I, it's funny the, the, the author was saying, it's like, well, I mean, you're really pro on the Microsoft stack. I said, look, I, I use office 365 and Slack both daily. Yep. Because of of projects, I have and I have other tools. I'm I, you know across all of those things. It's uh, I think one of the mistakes, one of the pains that we saw. Uh, I certainly saw this in the '90s and um, building out internet and building out PMOs. I saw this with uh, in the early 2000s with uh, some of that early infrastructure. It's why one of the reasons why I I kind of got on board the SharePoint train. Um, We see this again with SharePoint same same mistakes, which is this all or nothing technology approach where, you know, we'll everything we do. You must now the entire organization must use SharePoint or must use whatever that technology is. And what would happen is that would fit the needs of 20, maybe 30 percent of the use cases and everyone else would go out and this shadow IT thing would just spread. And. And now the movement seems to be, and it's not even uh, so much, it used to be kind of the, the best-in-class solution versus the all-in-one platform. And that's not so much the, the, the conversation as, because that's, again, the wrong perspective. That's, that's that IT technology perspective. Now it's, I need to get my job done. I need to do the things that are right if that fits within and from a licensing and from a simplicity standpoint of backend management, I can do that with one platform or another and then fill in the gaps with other tools, great. Or if that means we need to go and be able to support in our organization for the specialized needs, 20, 30 different tools, then that's what we have to do because it's the right thing to do for the business.
1: Yeah, and the only way that you can have any uh, modicum of control in that environment is by being principles based. You know that's that's the way that you have to uh, control that. And and it's it's really interesting how innovation opens up opportunities um, often in places that you know you thought were static and were kind of done. And uh, Aaron Levy the, from Box had a had an article recently where he was talking about the Slack IPO and the and I don't know if Zoom has had their IPO or in the process of um, doing think, their IPO. I think they're in the process, but yeah, yeah. But both of, those, both of those are really interesting examples of, you know, if you had gone back five, six, eight years ago and asked people whether there would have been room for a billion dollar plus IPO in the um, kind of collaboration, social, you know, you know, whatever you want to call it, space that Slack has moved into, or in the, you know, kind of a competitor to WebEx, people would have said, well, no, you know, that, 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 that race is over you know, and, um, and the reality has been that it's not. So in fact, in fact, on the WebEx side, I mean, WebEx
0: was the leader and then they got edged out by go to meeting at that point. I mean, even, you know, back then, you know, go to meeting comes in. Of course there was place where that Microsoft bought. There were a few others, but you're right. I mean, it it was, I wouldn't even wouldn't have listed WebEx. I don't think that they were number one. I think go to meeting kind of took the number one spot. I don't know. I've not looked at that, you know, Gartner, uh, uh, quadrants in a while
1: but then Zoom has be, been the upstart and taken it yep. over that space. Yeah it's, it's funny and not to get all uh, um, down memory lane like uh, you and I have a tendency to do since we've been doing this for, for so daggone long but I can remember in 2007 sitting around um, an AIM uh, meeting with a bunch of vendors and uh, it was just as Moss was kind of coming into the marketplace and I remember a lot of the existing ECM players at the time were like, "Well, you know, I, I don't know really exactly what the what share what the SharePoint thing is doing, but it's um, it's not what we do." And so, you know, um, you know, we do something very different than what they do, and we're not really going to give it a whole lot of thought. And you know, witness yeah. what happened there. Right. Right. And then you know, then fast forward again another I don't know five, six, eight years. We're on a break at a board meeting. One at one time, I remember, and there was a, a guy from one of the big giant companies, and um, somebody from Box had been talking about what they were up to, and and it was like deja vu all over again, as Yogi Bear would say. Where the person said, like, "Well, you know, I don't know what what those Box guys are doing, but it's not really what we do in the you know in the ECM space." And you know, the reality is is that there are those Clayton Christian, you know, um, curve jumping instances occurring all over the place all the time and right. hard to figure out when, which ones are real and which ones are, um, illusory, but they're, but, but they happen.
0: You know, it, it's, uh, just kind of reminds me of the, the, um, doing some, uh, study and training in psychology and around the personality types. And, you know, the, 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 you know, the people have a difficult time of being able to, identify and, and really see to step back almost as a neutral party of their own personality, their own mix. So where it's difficult to look inward at your, uh, itself. Yeah. Um, and similarly, uh, one of the, the popular themes is I talk with my clients and I've, you know, uh, years of, of working with uh, high tech startups primarily, um, where you'd, you'd ask that question, you know, who are your competitors I'd say about half the time you ask that question to startups, they say the answer is, "Oh, we don't really have any competitors."
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and the answer, and I learned this, I did at my because my startup in the late '90s, we met with uh, 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 garage ventures three times. There was obviously something they they saw. But we didn't get funding through them, um, but I remember sitting with one of their senior partners, and he and he said we were talking about competitors, and we identified a couple in our space, and and he said, you know. I I don't think you're looking hard enough at who your competitors are. Um it's not you know we're we're so focused on the direct competitors to a space that we forget you know if my solution or my direct competitors didn't exist today how would people solve that problem? And yeah. that takes it sideways into other other areas. Um and that you really need to kind of broaden your view, your perspective on what is Co- oh. competition, what's happening. We have to do that with technology as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, and, and you know, when you think about sort of the evolution that's occurred in the content space in the last couple of years from sort of this this idea of these monolithic ECM platforms into more of a modular content services kind of approach, um, um, you know, it, it really changes the nature of the conversations that you have to have about content and about that that set of technology tools and um, you know I wrote a piece recently about uh, this conversation that I had with somebody and you know I people like they call you probably all the time they do me all the time too and they'll say like oh you know I got this content project underway what do you think and and so this particular person you know described to me what they were trying to do and uh, I kind of listened and I, I said where are you in the process and they said well you know we're kind of at the point of um looking at five or six vendors pretty solution providers pretty seriously for this and, um, you know, trying to make a decision. And, um, and I said, well, who are you talking to? And they rattled off these five or six vendors. And I thought to myself, Holy cow, um, these five or six are no, they, they are not in the, they're all great companies, but they are not, they don't do the same things with the same kind of capabilities that, and, and they were just very different companies. And I thought, you know, this is the byproduct of of not really fully understanding, going back to your comment before, not understanding the people in process side that you're trying to achieve, not understanding how the tools have changed and become much more modular in terms of delivering value against those people in processes, and having some sort of a process to think of, you know, how is an apple different from an orange, different from a grapefruit, different from a watermelon, and they're all grapefruits, but, <laughs> but they're, you know... Uh, yeah, yeah, they're not the same. And uh, so anyway, it was, uh, it, it was a funny conversation that kind of stuck me, with me and bothered me.
0: Well, in your research, I mean, do, have you captured data? Well, I know you've captured a lot of data around this. Let me just ask this question. Where do companies think that they are, uh, you know, as far as their uh, readiness, as their knowledge, their their ability to execute uh, in relation to where the industry really is where they really so I, because my my experience in, in having conversations and interviewing companies and 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 principals within these organizations, consultants as well as uh, full time employees, is that everyone overestimates what their organization really does, how well you know how much they're planning and that kind of. And then when you dig in the detail of what's actually happening, you find out that it's much lower than uh, than those
1: statements what are your thoughts about where companies think that they are, believe that they are? Yeah, I mean, there there is that gap um, that tends to be more profound, I think, in times of rapid technology change, that gap between aspirations and reality, you know, and kind of between hype and sort of you know what reality looks like at large scale in particular, because mm-hmm. it you know you don't just kind of like flip on a dime. And um, you know in the in the research that we that we've done at AIM, it's kind of interesting. You go down through a process that mirrors very much what you're talking about. So you ask people, you know, do you have some concern about, you know, the potential of facing technology-driven disruptors in your business in the next two to three years? And 50, 60 percent say yes. Um, you ask them, okay, well, what have you done about that? And people say. Um, You know, 80, 85 percent say, you know, we're focused on digital transformation and on digitizing the business. And so then you ask the next question, which is, um, well, what's standing in your way of being successful there? And they say something to the effect of um, the exploding volume and complexity of information and our inability to really get our arms around how to deal with that. And then you ask a the last question is, you know, how do you prefer to buy? Your content capabilities, and um, and and what direction are you trying to push it? And the answers you get there: are heavy emphasis on the cloud, often not exclusively the cloud, but you know, as we've talked about in the past, hybrid models that you know capitalize on the advantages of uh, all the different forms and permutations of where you keep things. You know, can have, and then you also get this this concept of um, we want to look at these content capabilities these information capabilities in a much more modular fashion than we ever have before in other words we want to basically be able to you know take one here one here one here one here have them readily available in a in a non customizable kind of way and be able to configure those to apply them to a particular business process that we have and so that's all you know sort of well and good it's all pointing in those directions that we're that we're talking about here uh, but then when you get to the last question of like where exactly are you right now, um, that's where the gap comes in, that um, all of this is a lot harder than people think. Um, it's somewhat akin to rewiring the house while you leave the juice on. And, um, and it's, a tough, it's a tough, tough thing. You know, you've got to pick your battles very carefully in that environment.
0: You know, in your last few articles, you, you kind of touched on that, talking about content services and breaking that up into the, this kind of modular approach to solving some of these problems. I mean, what are the trends that you're starting to see? Are they fully underway or is this still kind of an emerging space is shift over to content services?
1: I think it's, um, um, I would put it at kind of a typical bell curve right now. You know, it's, um, You've got, um, you've got some people are, who are sort of all in whole hog. You've got kind of, I don't know how many, and my statistics is rusty in terms of knowing how many standard deviations this all is, but uh, you get to that next group, which is, um, you know, seriously pursuing it and trying to think about these questions in a different way than you've had before. You've got a, another set of folks that are just doing some experimentations, and then you've got another set of group, folks that are, well, you know, everything's working pretty well right now, and we have other things we need to worry about.
0: Well, it's, I mean, what, are, what are the types of services that you see that are, are most prevalent right now?
1: Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think that, you know, when you start to think about um, a lot of those are defined specifically in terms of whatever the business process is. And so, you know, I see a lot of user companies, particularly driven by top level folks, mm-hmm. trying to shift their focus to an emphasis on, um, customer experience and customer journeys and and I think that's a, that's a, that's a reflection of the disruptive times that we 're in and kind of the realization that you have to do something different. Well, when you start to do that, it exposes a lot of vulnerabilities for most organizations when you do that because most customer journeys are not confined to a particular department, for example, which is the way that we've that we 've always defined you know, for the most part, how you deploy content capabilities, you know, you're automating finance, you're automating HR, you're automating uh, contracts management. And, uh, you know, when you have a customer journey that um, not only occurs there, but also kind of goes, you know, weaves in and out throughout all of that stuff, it raises some really different perspectives of how you have to think about content. Um, And, you know, it's starting to change, I think, but, you know, there's still an awful lot of content that's, you know, um, tied up in those departmental um, processes and probably tied up in uh, um, probably the same content tied up in five or six of, different of those of those and you know the the poor knowledge worker then that 's trying to deal with those those rascally customers um, that expect everything to work on the back end as elegantly as it works on the front end um, are left in the role of being human systems integrators that have to somehow connect those dots. Um, and you know that's I think where companies wind up with some exposures.
0: Well, I, yeah. I, look, and there's a lot of I. you I think you're. You're exactly right. I mean, it's spot on. That, that, that's and and therein lies the the true definition of governance. It's it's filling in those gaps. It's understanding that for the business we need to be doing this. Here's the tools. Here's that support these process processes. And here's how our people interact with them. And here are the inevitable gaps in between these disparate tools and processes and, and people and teams and all of that. And governance is in place to make sure that you're filling those, those yeah. gaps, and managing those gaps and, and reducing risk around that. There is, it kind of goes back to it's like there's two things that you can do to simplify, I mean, that whole world, of everything we're talking about, knowledge management. Uh, information management. You know, one, you can be on a single platform um, or uh, I always like to throw this one in. Um, The other thing is that you can not add any users. It's a lot less headache if there are no users in the system. Um, (laughs) But uh, both of those are very
1: limiting. (laughs) Yeah. You know, there's another complexity too, which um, I've thought about recently. And um, uh, my mom is uh, 87. And uh, she recently moved from place kind of distant from here to fairly close, and so in the process, we were um, canceling a bunch of uh, service and you know she 's got an ipad and she 's on facebook and you know she 's kind of a she is a technology customer, but not usually the one kind that people have in mind when they think about about uh, all these conversations about c x and customer experience and all that kind of stuff and so you know i, I had to I, I had chuckled at this like long. Uh, you know, conver- set of conversations that I had, because she was trying to cancel a um, a MIFI um, uh, uh, supplier that she had where she used to live. I'll leave them out of the, um, uh, they- leave their name out for the moment. So she was having trouble doing that. And uh, she said to me at one point, she said, she said, well, I was in this like, you know, endless call response line, you know, queue. And... Um, and finally, I just got so mad I hung up. And I and and uh, she said, "So I guess I canceled the service." And I said, "So ma, no, you know, if you didn't cancel, <laughs> you know, you didn't get a number or something. You didn't cancel the service." So anyway, make a long story short. I, I of course, Mister uh, Mister Customer Assistance Person. I, I hopped in and said, "Well, let me see if I can help you with this." And the part that just got me so ch- made me chuckle so much about this was that. I got, you know, explained the situation, went to two or three stores, turned out that those stores weren't really stores for this particular company, they were franchises, they couldn't deal with any customers along the way, you know, all that stuff. And we, I finally got somebody on the phone and they said, okay, but what we need to know is we need to verify identity. Um, and so what was your mom's first car? And so I said, uh, I said, Ma, what was your first car? And she said, you know, a 1953 Hudson. And so I said, 1953 Hudson, the person on the other end said, no, that's not right. And it turned out that um, her husband, who's no longer with us, had set up this account like four, five, six years ago. And he evidently had a different car than a 1953 Hudson. But <laughs> access to that was, was the stumbling block to actually having a meaningful customer experience. And so anyway, I know it's a long story, but what it said to me, is that when we talk about customer experience? I think lots of times we tend to think of one demographic. You know, it's a 25 to 35 you know year old person, probably in North America, um, probably speaks English. And the reality for most companies at scale is that customer experiences have a lot of personas that they have to interact with. You know, it's not just that one simple you know um, target customer. And so you take a hodgepodge of back end systems. You take people with, you know, knowledge tools at the desktop that aren't necessarily ideal and force them to be human systems integrators. And you have like a a whole set of digital customers coming to you now that have very different frames of reference from what you might traditionally expect. And that's a pretty complicated mix right now for companies.
0: You know, uh, so my first experience where I first heard the acronym UX uh, uh, and uh, had a great uh, you know, just a deep dive into that 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 topic was back in 2001. So I talked about that company that I worked for years back, a company called E2 Open, and we met with. We were designing for. We did a few different things, but I was the first product manager hired to build out what was called the the collaboration manager, which was uh, initially when the company was funded was the smallest aspect of the solution, the platform we were building, and ended up being the primary. <laughs> platform because everybody said, yeah, we need this, this collaboration based, you know, hub, uh, workspace together anyway. But, uh, so working with, we brought in this, uh, external vendor to help us with the design of this user interface. Very proud of what we developed that I saw the product in 2014, 2015, and it looked pretty much like what we designed back in 2001, 2002. Um, so pretty incredible. Um, I think that last version with, with that vendor was 2002. But anyway, that experience, and, and so I helped manage the relationship with this vendor, and met with and and did you know panels? We did brought in you know just just end user customers and managers across the organization and all different levels to get input on this this process. But I remember the the, the guy that ran this this company of designers talked about the, the user experience and having to understand the hard part of this is that, you know, you guys do this, what the customer's trying to accomplish is this. Yeah. So you're this little piece here and you need to understand how, you know, what the entire end to end is. You can be the best you can be and then be completely disconnected at both ends to what the customer's trying to do. Yeah. Not, not, you know, and then multiple customers. The second time I heard a similar statement uh, was when Satya Nadella became CEO, and his first keynote, he talked about again my, you know, my Microsoft ecosystem bias here, but he talked about he says you know Microsoft our goal is to build the best software in the world, and he paused, and there was you know eruption of applause kind of thing, but he <laughs> <pauses> <laughs> yeah. and he said. And where we don't have the best solution, then we want to partner and integrate and connect with the best solutions. And that's where really people like look around and that's where the first demo that you saw on stage with an iPhone and an iPad and and other things going on, we're saying, you know, look, there's some things we're just not good at. This was a, again, my my bias here being formerly a SharePoint MVP. Now, you know, in the office apps and services MVP world, Um, But that this, you know, bludgeoning of the, you know, the square peg of SharePoint into all the round holes that were out there to solve every problem. And the re-messaging of that saying, you know, SharePoint is a, you know, document collaboration and intranet platform primarily. It does some other things, but this is the core of what's supposed to be. And let's then integrate in and and, and certainly it's getting easier. There's, you know, when you have... APIs that are getting more and more opened. that organizations are understanding that we've we collect all this data Whether or not we have a native integration to this thing Let's open up our a- API's and let end users customers access and get the data that they need to to provide that end-to-end solution that seems to be the prevalent approach yeah. of technology companies uh, and and certainly from a consultant you know as a marketing consultant or as a technology consultant uh, as a product company um, there are opportunities everywhere it's fast okay. changing but there are still so many gaps so much opportunity and that's what kind of uh, you know jumped out to me when yep. I saw you writing about the content services yep. like right why would you as an organization you don't specialize in those things be able to go and a la carte pick up the pieces that you need based on your strategy And that's that core. If you have that shared understanding of what you're trying to accomplish, it makes the most sense.
1: Yeah. How do you find, um, you know, doing a lot of work in the Microsoft ecosystem? And, um, you know, one of the things that I I, so, uh, you know, I'm Switzerland, like a lot of folks when it comes to vendors. But I I, on a personal level, I so admire what uh, he's been able to accomplish at that company. When you think about the the pivot that they've made is just is just. Stunning. I mean, it's just amazing when you think about that scale and that pivot. And and the part that always is intriguing to me is, and when you work with folks on the customer side, we've found in our surveys often is that there's a, there's a lag that always occurs um, amongst organizations at scale and kind of the innovations that the supplier community is driving towards. And it seems like that, you know, I, uh, the way I would use to talk about it is that you know when uh, when we were in like sharepoint 2013 for example i'd do a seminar and i'd you know i would i would ask all the folks in the room most of whom were large sharepoint users at very large organizations at very large scale and i'd say what versions of sharepoint are you on and you know you would get you know you know a smattering of hands for 2013 you'd get you know lots of 2010s you'd get lots of mosses and then you'd get uh, Um, you know, some 20, 2002 people would raise their hand kind of periodically and stuff. But anyway, there was that lag that existed and, and it seems like I would think you run into that. Um, that's a challenge. I think that, that's like, um, I saw it in our survey, our SharePoint survey last year where there was a real forward lean in the direction of office 365, a real forward lean in the cloud-based, you know, services. Um, and yet kind of still a long tail that they're trying to figure out what to do with. Is that do you see that in kind of your? Consulting? Oh yeah,
0: yeah, and I think so. So my we did a uh, we were uh, commissioned by Microsoft and about a dozen different uh, partners in the SharePoint space. Uh, the the first half of 2017 did a uh, a, a study around um, hybrid or for hybrid SharePoint, and uh, and what we the data that we showed and and it was interesting that came out in April of 2017 and at the inspire the partner conference in july uh i interviewed some of the leadership team the vps uh and i briefly caught um julia white who of course moved on and she's over on the azure side of things now but had you know like follow-up you know conversations um because i generally this is this will be my ninth uh partner conference that i go to this july and I have these same discussions with these same leaders uh, each year. And, uh, and what we showed in our report is that it, you know, it caught Microsoft by surprise. And I know just industry-wide uh, in this space, a lot of the OEMs were surprised that hybrid was as prevalent. And yeah. look, for, for those of us that are practitioners, that have been in the, the trenches running this. I've been a SharePoint admin. I've, I've owned this. I've driven this. I've been a consultant. I you know, advise on these broader strategies around information management. Uh, and it doesn't surprise me at all that uh, you can't flip a switch and switch technologies that you've spent dollars. You need to see the lifetime value of the investments yep. you've already made. You want to take advantage of the hard, new build
1: applications on top of it.
0: Right. And so, again, there's an opportunity for partners and for companies to go in there and and bridge the gap. And I think that, you know, Microsoft, a few others, of course, I'm entrenched within the Microsoft ecosystem, but have recognized this trend, this change, and have retooled. So why Microsoft is putting so much emphasis, as you read through any press release, uh, how much emphasis they put around the Microsoft uh, Graph API, and Mm -hmm. the accessibility of the data, of of how they highlight uh, the connectors and and bots and other integrations into, like, Microsoft Teams from competitors. Box was one of the early ones in there. You had all of these other cloud-based competitors that built these connectors into it, and Microsoft was out there telling the story just like the company saying, and we integrate into Office 365. Because I think it goes back to the reality, I know that you've seen the same thing, is that... No company makes an investment in a single platform any longer. It doesn't exist. Yeah. If you think it exists, then you are blind to
1: what's actually happening in your organization. Right. And you and if you if you try to do that, you run the risk in an era of really accelerating technology change to be left behind because not everybody's going to be good at everything. And, you know, before you know it, you know, I I think about that, you know, sometimes in the, um, you know, in in the little tiny association management space that, you know, I spent uh, 35 plus years in associations. And there's a whole cluster of technology, proprietary technology companies that have specialized in things like processing memberships and doing attendance at meetings and, you know, and all that stuff and and we went through this evolution in the little tiny association space is exactly the same as we've done in the broad information management space which is that you started with this thing that was just trying to do like this mm-hmm. then you kind of bolted on either through acquisition or through you know customization all these other things you know because the customers were saying you know we want to do this 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 and then you know so so you had this like brief period of nirvana, albeit after you'd spent a hell of a lot of money, but brief period of no, nirvana, when then all of a sudden, this piece started to change, and there was a way better way of doing this, and a way better way of doing this, and a way better way of doing this, and, you know, the whole thing just ultimately, And you know, one of the things that we struggled with at AIM for, you know, five years in the last couple of years I was there was unraveling that tight integration ball so that you could take advantage of all the changes and innovations that were going on on the perimeter and the frustration that your core system had that wasn't open enough to have those intersections with those systems. And, you know, that's in a microcosm what's going on everywhere right now.
0: You know, probably the most uh, uh, common question that I'm asked as I tour around, I speak at events around the world uh, is, uh, uh, you know, how do you keep up with all the changes that are going on? And, and I, my first, my quick response is I don't, (laughs) um, you you have to pick your battles. How do you keep up with, with what's going on? Kind of what are, what are your best practices or your recommendations for people that, that feel like, like it's just changing so rapidly, even the things that are deployed, much less the new things that you need to be considering to displace or add into what you have deployed today.
1: That's a good, that's a good point. I think there's um, a, a couple things. One is that the nature of the, the the job that I have right now, part of the job that I have working with AIM on a contracted basis, doing these industry watch reports, that obviously, I'm, I'm kind of in an unusual character in that regard, because it forces me to kind of be conversant in data and conversant in trends and conversant, you know, it's, it's very, very helpful. You, you and I are bad examples of this because yeah. we're nerds for this. So like we're tracking that, but I mean, in general, generally speaking, yeah, but, but move that to a side, you know, then I think beyond that, um, I think there's a role for, um, for conferences, you know, very different kinds of conferences than maybe was the case when everything was all about trade shows in the past. I think I rely a lot on my community, you know, of people both on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, Because again, I can't keep track of everything. But, you know, if you highlight that, you know, gee, this is a really interesting article about ABC, or if you write a really interesting article about something, you know, then it kind of says, oh, okay, well, hmm, I I should follow that trail and kind of see where it goes. And so I don't know that there's, that, I, I don't know about me, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I have a magic elixir, but I rely a lot on that community to give me the right social signals that will tell me where I should sort of look next. That is my exact answer as
0: well it's, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah because because none of us can be an expert at everything I mean there are some brilliant people out there that know a lot about a lot of things but um, you know there there's there's no shame in saying I don't know but I know somebody who does know yeah. and uh, and so there are certain people that I follow certain blogs and podcasts and, yeah. and of course through the social channels I do the same thing if there's something I, I I'll I'll, I don't have to read everything in depth. I'll see something that like, that looks like it might apply. I read into it like, no, okay, that's something different. Um, but I'll go and follow up on those. I've just made that part of my daily habit. My, my morning, I'm reading through. In the afternoon, I've set aside times to kind of go through and follow. What's the dialogue? What is the community saying? These different uh, you know, trusted voices out there and uh And then, go and consume other content in more depth based on what I find through that that skimming process
1: yeah and and the other thing that that I like to do too is um um I, I talk to my kids and I talk to my kids' friends and um and and that's interesting, not so much that they necessarily have all the right answers but but they they definitely um, have pointers in the direction of how they are looking and thinking about technology that is very, very different than the way that somebody in my age bracket looks and thinks about technology. You know, you try to keep as, as, as um, innovative as you possibly can, but I'm constantly amazed that uh, just little things that they do in their lives that are, that are so dramatically different than the way that um, we did, those, did them when we were their age. Uh, you know, I wish I could. I've got four adult
0: children. Uh, I tell you, my my daughter. I'm actually getting ready to head out. She's graduating from grad school in. Uh, congratulations! The, in Minneapolis. Thank you. Yeah, we're heading out tomorrow. But uh, uh, she asked me once to if I could review a paper that she wrote. She was her undergrad was uh, microbiology, and she ran the the labs at her university. Very very smart girl. I've got a couple STEM kids, a couple that are on the the business side but none of them are interested in technology but i'll tell you her paper I, I got back to her i'm like audrey i don't know what half these words are yeah
1: <laughs> yeah no it is it but is, uh,
0: yeah
1: i mean i i had an i had an example of that many years ago when my um when our daughter was in um uh, i think a a senior or a junior in high school so this goes back quite a ways and um this was at a time when Skype wasn't really being used by many any people in a business context, much less be, you know it hadn't been acquired by Microsoft yeah. yet at that point. And so it was like eleven o'clock at nighter, and uh, you know I heard this conversation going on from her bedroom, and I kind of, you know of course you kind of think to yourself, well what the hell's going on here? And and she was on a she was on a Skype um, connection with two or three other. Um, kids in this Latin honors class, and they were all working together on translating this document. And they had another document, uh, you know, a Google doc open on the side where they were kind of doing it nice. And, and, and the part that just didn't, not, not that that was anything earth shaking, um, but I said, who told you or taught you to do that? And, um, and the, the, she thought that was kind of a nonsensical question. It was like, well, that's just how we do that. And, and, you know, this is before people in the business environment were really doing that kind of collaborative work in any kind of serious way. And so, again, you know, you can kind of learn a lot of things looking around.
0: Well, and and necessity drives, uh, uh, you know, uh, innovation (laughs) as well. Well, I just think think of my, my MBA. So in the late nineties, right. We were very blessed towards the beginning of our program and we had our, our team. And for 27 months was that, you know, that program, we were writing at least one individual paper per week and one team paper with different, you know, groupings of people per week. And that's when groove was released and we heard that and instantly knew what it was. I mean, we were sharing files via FTP server and uh, you know, upload, download that stuff. That was, you know, back in the days where we were writing articles and posting them on the web before the word blog existed.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, and but we found that, and it just it made sense and it fit in. And uh, so, but uh, well, John, you know, I, I really appreciate the discussion. I know we, we kind of started off with the idea of talking about you know the the the, the changes, uh, uh, you know, the trends within knowledge and information management. We've kind of done that
1: in a yeah, roundabout yeah. way. Yeah, it, it was this fun conversation. We ought to do it more, more frequently. Um, one of the things I'll be working on in the fall, we might just put a marker out there to think about, is um, um, that I do it, I'll do, be doing an Office 365-centered survey at that point, and uh, that might be a good one to get back together and talk about.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks a lot for your time today, John, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Sounds good, Chris. Take care.
0: You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. You can find us online at collabtalk.com, as well as on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.